So let us begin. Uh, sure, Joe, are, I believe you're going to start from where we left off last time. If I may, thank you very much. We are, as I said, on Sutra number 33. If you're following along with us with your own copy of the book, this is page 66. We're still on the first Pada, which is Samadhi Pada, just the very beginning of this great scripture. Um, we're coming to, you know, we've seen these waves even in the first 33 sutras of Patanjali going into these amazing, infinite, omnipresent states of, of you know, sharing and then bringing it down to something very practical, very essential. Just in the last class, he was talking about Ishwara and how he is beyond time in a state of timelessness. Then he's talking about how to tune into the Om vibration and in Om, all these amazing states and experiences come to us. And then right from there, he comes in the 33, third sutra, he says, <laughs> by cultivating attitudes of friendliness towards those who are happy, Compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard for the wicked, the vrittis or the vortices of attachment and desire are dissolved in undisturbed calmness. You also see here that he's not he's not forgotten his thread. In the mm -hmm. second, you know, in the second sutra, the most popular one, Yoga's Chitta Vritti Nirodh, he, he establishes that yoga is all about the neutralization of vrittis. And throughout, he's always, he's saying, this can also do it, this will also do it, this. He's not broken his thread as to, I've gone off in another tangent. He's still only talking about how are these vrittis going to be calmed. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, he's doing it in a, in a such a like a casual manner. Oh, it's through friendliness, through being compassionate, through being delighted in other people's virtues, and to have disregard for the wicked. The other thing that comes, that uh, I feel from here, Jayaji, and I'll let you go on after that, is, is the fact that our attitude and behavior to other people is so essential as to how our vrittis function. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen to them? Because usually when we think of a vritti, we're thinking about it very personally. My vrittis, my problems, my attachments, my desires. But here Patanjali is making it also in terms of how we're interacting with all the people around us. And especially how we're interacting with the waves that are people. Because sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're unhappy. Sometimes they're displaying acts of virtue and sometimes they're, you know, not so virtuous. And how that attitude and behavior expresses through us will determine whether our vrittis begin the neutralization process mm -hmm. or the agitation process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. That was, that was uh, absolutely excellent. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I think to... Uh, to appreciate these, it's to just come on one sutra in, without context of what's, ha what's come before and perhaps even what's, where he's going, but certainly what's come before. We don't quite get that context just by picking it up one at a time. And when we read this one, we also must remember uh, what's come before. And mm -hmm. so what he's said here is by cultivating these attitudes of friendliness and uh, happiness and compassion for the unhappy. He's basically saying these attitudes are you're now in this state. 
you have, a re you have reached this state by doing that which has come before this state. And what he was, and if you read the sutras that precede this, not all of them, but many of them, he's talking about the obstacles, mm -hmm. the obstacles that keep us from attaining uh, that state of, of uh, undisturbed calmness. And so there's many, uh, you've covered these already in the previous weeks, but all the negative, you might say, aspects, those things that pull us out, outside of ourselves. And then he's saying once we have attained that, it's these that he's mentioning here, they're natural. They're not something that you could say by cultivating attitudes of friendliness. Now cultivate means that you have it already. You see, when you get to that state of calmness, you then have this state of friendliness uh, towards the, those that are happy, compassion, delight in the virtuous. These are things that come to you when you remove the obstacles. And I mention this is because many times people have this feeling that in the practice of yoga, we are trying to attain a state of friendliness. We're, we want to, I want to be more friendly, you know? And so I go out in the morning and I say, I'm going to smile at everybody today. And I'm going to, which is actually a good practice, actually. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to denigrate that, but it's as if we're not happy and I have to make that happiness happen. And yes, it's a practice. We want to do that. But what he's saying here, he says, remember, you have now attained that by removing those things that keep you unhappy. And you're happy, which means happiness, calmness, peaceful. They are our natural state. It's not something that we have to put on ourselves. It's there already. And sometimes he goes, well, I'm just not a very friendly person. <laughs> and you know, that, that's why I don't uh, behave in such and such a way. And of course, that's not really true. <laughs> we're, not a, we're perhaps not a friendly person because we have these things that were discussed before coming to this chapter. Mm -hmm. And now we've removed them. And now we have to, those states that come, it's not that we stop, we have to now cultivate, you see, ever new bliss, ever new calmness, ever new depth of understanding, ever new wisdom. And it's a continual cultivation of something that's already happening. And I think it was a very nice, we're not really reading the commentary here of Swamiji's, but I, it, it's a very nice commentary where he speaks about friendliness. Mm. And he had noticed that at a certain point in his life, you know, he always, he was a friendly man. He, and then he did cultivate trying to be friendly. And he was, a, he had a world uh, mission, you might say, and he was well-traveled and he met thousands of people. So naturally he was appropriate. But then he noticed in the latter part of his life uh, that people would start smiling at him before he even smiled at them. They were friendly to him. You see, and so when we remove these obstacles, we take on the attitude of friendliness, but it's not something that we have to go out and demonstrate to others to, for them to be friendly toward us. It comes naturally because we emanate that quality that immediately attracts other people to you. And, and isn't it so if you look in your day-to-day -day life, why are some, why do some people just seem to be naturally, you want to be friendly toward them, you just feel that. Uh, oh, this is somebody that, that I might like or some, 
quality they have. Now, there is a certain perhaps resonance that we have with some people that we don't have others, but some people have a universal resonance mm. and that's what we want to be. And that's what we want, that's what we strive for and that begins to come naturally. So when we, if I think we can then take this, if we have, we all have, as we're aspiring, we do have positive qualities and we have some negative qualities. Perhaps, or now, let me not say it that way. We have some qualities that could use improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say it that way. And remember that, yes, we have those things. And sometimes when we're so earnest, we focus on those things that we're needing improvement. It's not a bad thing. But also remember, we have those positive qualities that are in us already. And if we do have those, cultivate them. Cultivate them. Don't assume, don't take them for granted. Just keep cultivating. And the magnetism of that, because they're calming. They come out of that state, dissolved and undisturbed calmness. Those very sattvic qualities that we have are, when we cultivate those, we put ourselves in that state of undissolved calmness, which is the natural fruit when we totally are able to overcome the vrittis. And so these are, our, these are natural and those deep states of positivity that you have of the, you might say the qualities of the virtuous person, these are all things that come as a result when we remove those obstacles. That's our true nature. And remember that, I think that's something to remember because you don't want to come to the idea which sometimes in religion people, oh, we're just bad people, you know, <laughs> and that's your innate nature and we have to overcome that built-in uh, negativity that's within us. That's not us at all. It's just something that has to be, you might say, wiped away. Just erase it off the whiteboard. I'm reminded this morning um, Nayaswami's Jyotish and Devi, who are the spiritual directors of Ananda Worldwide, they, share, they shared a little audio clip with us that they had a satsang with the devotees in both Russia and Ukraine together, an online satsang. So they brought together the disciples and the Kriyabans, you know, from Russia and Ukraine. And if there's ever a little, you know, in this moment in the world, if there's yeah, any animosity going on, it's yeah. happening right there. But when the devotees came together, there was just so much love for one another, so much compassion. They said that everybody was crying. And because that's that they don't want to be fighting and they're not identifying with I'm Russian, I'm Ukraine, that natural state that you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. When that starts to come forth, then those degrees of separation, no matter what the world is telling us, this is right now, these two, you know, countries are enemies and they're completely against each other. And but to see that when we come together in that spirit, it's just so beautiful to see that natural state of love, yeah. compassion, friendliness, well, disregard for the wicked. It's, it's a difficult time for those people. And I yeah. think we all need to pray for the for peace and harmony in that Absolutely. part of the world. Swamiji, I know we're not talking about so much the um, commentary here, but Swamiji does make an important point in this here toward the end of it. He, talks, he speaks about how uh, magnetism is very important and, we're, and we're, our magnetism draws things to us. And you could say that in the friend, he uses that example of friendliness. 
how we, if you want friends, you have to be friendly, is, is, is a basic principle. And uh, he goes on in that way. But these, the point I wanted to make when you mentioned this about the situation there in Eastern Europe, the environment if influence us. And I just, I pray for those folks because they are in a very difficult environment. Right, yeah. And when you're in an environment, you're naturally sucked into types of behaviors that you're just, it's, you're influenced by that. And so I think we find ourselves, fortunately, we're not in a situation like that. And so it's important for us that in times when things are calm and all of us go through our own mini ups and downs and our own mini warfare happens within ourselves. When we're in times of peace, in times of calmness and when things are going well for us, we need to take advantage of those times to really strengthen those positive attitudes during those times and not, it's for the reason is because life being what it is, for every up there's going to be a down to the degree that we live in a world of duality and consciousness. And so if we can keep ourselves, if we can strengthen those times when we're feeling well, in so we have them in reserve <laughs> for when circumstances go that are beyond our control. And I, to the, you know, to most degrees, that which is happening there in that country is beyond the average person's control. So take advantage of the good times when you're in a peaceful state and recall that. And then in the midst of those times, you can remember it and that's when we're going to be really tested. And all of us are tested in one way or another in life. Chai, I did want to mention though, because I know, I mean, you of course picked it up from the perspective of when the vrittis are naturally calm, this is, a na this is our state of being. But I, I also see this very much as, you know, mold your behavior accordingly. Because yes, a lot of yes. people ask, Oh, how do I act in this situation? Oh, I have this really difficult person in office. Oh, my mother and my mother-in-law or my husband or whatever the realities are. People are always wondering what's appropriate behavior. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for the yogi, you know, we're always looking for, all right, how do I act in this situation? And I, I appreciate the way Patanjali has given it to us because every individual we interact with goes through all four of these realities. It's not like he's saying, oh, there are only happy people and only unhappy people and only virtuous people and only wicked. We're all pretty much a combination of, of these four. But when a person is happy, you know, get into their orbit, spend time with them, be friendly with them. Well, there you go. It's like, it's like taking up the vibrations, you know, it's choosing your environment and if you find happy people, you're likely to be happy. But then too. when they're unhappy, which ah. they will invariably be, be compassionate, but don't be friendly at that time. Don't, don't enter into their world, but don't judge them or criticize them for yeah. their unhappiness. That's right, because life is always change, and they've gone through a momentary down spell. And it's, I think we have to remember that we're going to go through those down spells too. And not so, me, Jaya. Oh, well, maybe not, maybe not you. <laughs> yeah. So you have to, you want people to be compassionate when you're in a bad mood. So we need to be compassionate when we see other people in that way. And I like the disregard for the wicked. 
which yeah. is which is not for wicked people because right. he says delight in the virtuous where virtue comes forth you know delight in that reality and disregard for the wicked and i like the word disregard because it comes from a french word called regard bara how do you say regard <laughs> which is look which means which means look oh don't look at the wicked don't look at what's yeah. wicked in them because yeah. Yeah. You know, then you'll take on those same qualities well, yourself true. and those yeah. vrittis. Yeah. They magnetize to what you're able to see in other people. Right. And little yeah. by little, they, they begin to kind of move through you. And it's a wonderful way for us to know when to step into somebody's world, when to step out of their world, when to really kind of get and support them, when to kind of say, all right, I'm compassionate, but... I don't need to be in the orbit of whether the unhappiness or the wickedness or whatever that's going through well, right that's now. that's true. But you notice something, though. I mean, taking that one of the wicked, it has a magnetism. Yes, it does. And, <laughs> and, and so just that there's positive things have a magnetism and bad behavior or wicked attitudes, and however he means that, negative attitudes, it has a magnetism, too. But, and so what he's saying here, I take it, He's saying, disregard it. Don't get in there and wrestle with it. Exactly. You know, in other words, I'm going to grapple. You know, you have a, you know, there's a bad attitude here, and I'm going to get in there and wrestle with it. Now, I imagine there are situations where it's our dharma to do that, but to look for the wicked attitudes in one's daily life, it's endless. <laughs> and in a sense, you can't, you can't engage. Uh, you're not going to change the world to that degree. So you have to be careful of protecting your magnetism. Now, if you're, if you're the saintly, if you're totally beyond, well, then that's a different story. That's a different story. Then you act according to God's will. And a lot of people, just like Vandana asked here, how do I, you know, how do I completely... If somebody's been being really bad, how can I completely disregard them, or how can I That's totally right. disengage from them? Well, and the question—I mean, my thought here is especially from the perspective of if you truly want to be a yogi, that's what it takes. That's the strength it takes, because we want to dilly dally on the line where we're like, "Yeah, I want to be a yogi, but I also want to be able to, you know, people should know that I am somebody and I can handle these situations." We're not. We're not able to just say, I'm a yogi and my energy is very precious to me. And I'm going to be able to learn that ability to withdraw from that magnetic pull that naturally goes to see whatever is wrong or whatever bad is happening in my life. Yeah, I think he's referring to when there's, to disregard the wicked, he, he's meaning to disregard that pull mm -hmm. that those attitudes are trying to pull you out of your inner state of calmness and yeah. peace. Disregard, don't allow them to do. Now, it doesn't, I don't think he's necessarily saying to disregard the actions that are going around you. Of course not. Because we have, a, all of us have, we live in this world and, and we have to function in this world and there's dharmic things to do, but don't do it from a point of reaction. And this is what the, what that, this whole series of slokas has been about, overcome the reactive tendency. And so consequently that there is in other situations, other people, there is this magnetism that's trying to get you to react. It's trying to, it's trying to say, come on, get out of that <laughs> peaceful state, you know, and react, react. 
And that's what's trying to be overcome here. Disregard that impulse. Mm -hmm. But yet, if there's something needs, that needs attention, it's a, you, know, you respond to it appropriately. You want to move on to the next? Oh, the next one. We do have more, don't we? <laughs> okay, number 34. This would be number 34. The vrittis, attachments and desires, can also be neutralized by calming and retaining outward the exhalation of the breath. Now, isn't this, I find this very interesting because here he was talking about attitudes <laughs> you know, behaviors and attitudes. And he, here he makes a very radical jump to deep esoteric yogic truths, how to, you could say, uh, overcome. And it is, which is on the deeper level, how to overcome that reactive process. And if we, and I think this is actually, so I remember Swami Kriyananda saying, and maybe it was traced back to what uh, Yogananda said. He says, this science of breath is the greatest piece of knowledge, spiritual knowledge, that has been gifted to the world wow. through the Indian Vedic tradition, the science of breath, because that science of breath um, is the key to unlock really what is trying to happen, what he is speaking about here in overcoming, neutralizing the vrittis. And say, so he's, he's telling us overcome those obstacles, get rid of those bad habits, uh, be friendly, do the, do the positive. And that is, he's taken some time to do that. And then he comes, or <laughs> suspend your breath. <laughs> those are your two options. <laughs> yeah, you're not, basically, you have a couple options here. And, and you go, oh, okay. I but, choose the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so... But it's very, I just sort of the starkness of it. But he's, he goes right to the heart of what's happening us to us physiologically. Because the breath, you could say the movements of those currents in the deep spine are a representation of all of these attitudes that are happening. They're represented by those movements of the life force within the deep spine. So. The ability, when we talk about neutralizing, the question is, well, how do we neutralize? You can neutralize the outer manifestations, or you can go to the heart of that which is representative of those within the movement of life force within the deep spine. And this is, is at the very heart of the yoga science. And it's a very important statement. And what he's saying is, is if we, as a yogi, which will happen also naturally as we uh, calm those vrittis in outward manners by living proper life, acting in, pr in proper manner, by uh, all the outward things we do, this begins to happen, we begin to purify, and as we purify, the breath becomes calm, and the life force begins to naturally retreat, and it's said that you know, in order for us to really go beyond breath and beyond those outer manifestations, we have to purify ourselves. And that's what religious life uh, universally is about. It's mm -hmm. how to purify ourselves, those qualities, so that they become light. You might say they, they're not binding us so much. They're not chains around our ankles. They're just strings that you know, are much more easily uh, savored. And so, 
ultimately though we, t we take it to that next step of actually being able to suspend that breath and that is essentially what is being spoken of as the result of our Kriya Yoga practice mm -hmm. and or yoga practice in other traditions also but specifically in our case Kriya Yoga we learn to be able to practice Kriya until breath becomes mind and it begins those waves are calm those vrittis are neutralized in that way so i was it's it's a very just he hits it straight on of what's needed when somebody reads this sutra though from a more kind of a mundane understanding they think of it as holding the breath like physically you know so they they focus on the kumbhak as yeah. part of the pranayam technique where they'll all right i've exhaled now I'm holding my breath and the longer I can hold my breath, like force and have that tension, then suddenly my vrittis are being calm. So they're, they're, they're not aware of the fact that when the energy rises down the pingala, which is the exhaling breath, only at that stage, if it's able to enter into the shushumna, into the deep spine, then breath becomes superfluous. Breath yeah. is no longer needed. Well, I think people who do approach yoga with that understanding discover with just a little bit of experience <laughs> that it doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, whether that propels them to look in other directions, I don't know. But, uh, but it's true that we have to be able to calm the breath, to transcend the breath, or you could say to release those things that are holding, the, tying the body to the mind or to the cord of the breath to the body and being able to release those. But it, force isn't going to do it. Nope. Force isn't going to do it. But, uh, it's a, it's a surrender. You might even say it that way. We have mm. to surrender the breath off, or you could say it in this way, it's self-offering mm. is what it is. We offer, because the breath represents our, our self, that little self. Breath is a representation of the ego self, the little self. And, and as long as we have ego consciousness, the breath moves and consequently vrittis are present. Oh, yeah. So until we can go beyond all of those, they're, they're interlinked, we release those, the breath goes, the ego is relinquished, and you can't force the ego, you can only surrender it, you see. That's, that's the uh, secret of it. You say, I want it, I want it, I want, I want, I want. But you have to re relax. It's relaxation, maybe on a very deep level, you could think of it as that way too. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, in our meditation classes, are we taught only when we're completely relaxed, is interiorization possible and yeah. then only then yeah. can the breath be surrendered yeah so we start relaxation of the body relaxation of the mind relaxation of the emotions relaxation of the desires deeper and deeper and deeper swami puts here in an asterisk down here just from the autobiography, just to kind of give weight to what Patanjali just said, where Master says, my body became immovably rooted and breath was drawn out of my lungs as if by a huge magnet. Yeah, it, like, and I think that word magnet is, is uh, critical there. It's like a, the, the magnetism of the inside. We spoke in the last one about the magnetism of the world around us. We need to get that magnetism on the inside mm. and it'll begin to pull it. And so there again, you could say our job is not to hold the breath. Our job is not to you know, do what we can to get that breath to stop from an external point of view, but 
it's to create that magnetism inside. And when the magnetism is right, it, uh, it will naturally interiorize. It reminds me of a question that sometimes come up. People ask about Kriya Yoga, which is the science of Kriya, which is designed to help us transcend breath. Somebody will often ask, well, is Kriya dangerous? Mm. And I say, no, it's not dangerous because it's based upon the principle of magnetism, attraction, rather than force. Mm. And the worst thing that'll happen if you practice Kriya improperly is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> and that's, you know, so it, it's not anything bad happens. You just create no magnetism, and consequently there's no uh, interiorization of consciousness. So. Shall we go on? Yep. Otherwise, so more <laughs> options. Otherwise. otherwise. <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's he's not, not letting not. it go so easily. No, otherwise, not. concentration on subtle sense perceptions can bring about steadiness of mind. Now, of course, the big, hardest part in meditation is a fluctuating, restless, constantly <laughs> moving mind. And that steadiness is very hard to achieve. And so everybody who meditates, what's the first thing they say? How do I overcome the restless mind? And here he gives again a very kind of a subtler way to tune into it, the subtle sense perceptions. And what are our sense perceptions? Hearing, sound, no, sound already, okay. Vision, feeling, taste, and smell. But there are subtler perceptions inside us. We talked about in the last class, the OM technique, where rather than the sense externalizing to listen to the sounds outside of ourselves, we're not shutting that sense down. It's not like, oh, I, you know, I can't be listening to anything else. It's I turn it inward and I start listening to something other than what's outside myself. And when you do that, you say, oh, there are sounds inside me. There's a whole world or there's a, there's a symphony of sound available. Similarly for the vision, when we close our eyes, it's not like we're trying not to see the world. Mm -hmm. We're trying to see another world, a subtler sense of light, of color. And we've all had that experience. The key element is we have that experience and we get so excited and restless by the experience. Oh, wow, I'm seeing this color. And now the purple is becoming blue and the blue is becoming pink. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just as enamored by how I would be enamored by, oh, what new phone case did you just put? Oh, it's a pink phone case. Oh, how lovely. And, you know, and we're just as enamored outwardly. And then we get the same kind of restless excitement inwardly. And then the key element of concentration is lost. We don't take that sense perception and then focus on it intensely and completely. Also feeling, rather than the feeling of touch, we get to feel the flow of energy in the spine. And that mm -hmm. becomes a subtle mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. perception that I say, all right, I feel that, I need something tangible. Let me hook my mind onto that subtler sense perception. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that is exactly it. We sort of think that when we're meditating, we're entering a world of nothingness. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I, I, at least outwardly, I can have pleasures and there's, I'm experiencing something, I'm alive. I go into <laughs> meditation and there's nothing there. And oh my God, I'm gonna go deeper in this thing. And for what purpose? And we don't realize that, just as Shurjo said, that there is the inner side of the senses and each of them have their 
have their reality, and we just have not attuned ourselves, awakened ourselves to be able to experience those inner sensations that in the van, you know, you could say, well, why should I just, why should I be attracted to those things? Aren't, and the implication there was that, that you can get lost in those inner things too. But for the beginning meditator, they have a positive thing. They have a positive appeal. Mm -hmm. They draw us in. And that's what we want. We want to be drawn in. And to the degree when you meditate and if, if you see light in the meditation, you say, oh my God. And it pulls you in and it's attractive. And then you come out of that and what do you want to do? I want to do that again. You want to meditate. And so it, it, it enlivens our practice. It, it makes us want to do more of that. Ultimately though, of course, we even have to go beyond that as well. But nevertheless, for the state, you might say that most of us are, it's attractive and it'll pull, uh, pull us inward. Now I thought it was very fun with Swamiji in his commentary he makes mention of that, that uh, of the various senses. He, he talks about smell and taste first, and, he, and how the it tastes the, the taste of a thousand wonderful things, you know, yeah, cr all crushed, crushed into one, all wrapped into into <laughs> one taste. And I thought it was rather humorous that Swami says, "Well, that one I really." <laughs> I was looking forward always, to that one. <laughs> he's sort of attracted to because he, he used to joke that he liked good food, you see, he liked tasty food. He said that one had an appeal to him, you know, <laughs> but he was somewhat, you know, he was lightheartedly saying that. And, but he said, but he makes the thing, the point that he says, smell and taste are not highly dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, to our, they're not really uh, as powerful of, of uh, They don't draw the mind. They don't draw, as... yeah, they don't draw. Whereas the other ones, the other three, and he meant, yeah, of course, the sound, the sounds of the chakras, the lights of the chakras, these are much more dynamic too. And they have this great uh, sense of expansion that goes with it. And this is what he speaks about listening to those sounds. We go into those sounds and in the sounds of Om at the individual chakras, it pulls us mm -hmm. very dynamically into following those sounds, as does the light also, going into the light of the spiritual eye is very, very attractive and, and very, very uh, pulling of us. It's accompanied with a deep sense of joy begins to manifest there. And then he mentions too, he does mention, he says, the inner sense of touch is that which comes from feeling our presence in all space. You know, so we can feel the sense of touch here, you know, and it's, it's attractive, but the, imagine feeling your presence in all space. Now that is expansive and that when we begin to feel that inner side listening to the ohm sound we feel and that we're, we're our consciousness moves out to all space now that's a very attractive thing and then he goes on to just mention he says in the physical body however stimulation of the sense of touch leads to sexual desire and therefore to body attachment but the opposite of that is the sense of touch that makes our, we're feeling ourselves present in all space. And so there's all of these senses, they have their two sides to it. And uh, it's not a world of nothingness, it's a world of uh, expansion and uh, exploration. I was thinking in terms of uh, taste as well, you've got the land of milk and honey, 
is when you do the Kechari Mudra, you've got that little, yeah. that little yeah. thing that drips the mana. Yeah. And it has that little sweetness to it as well. And it, it can also, you know, sometimes just help you, give you a tangible experience to, That's right. to, to at least hold the mind yeah. a little. Yeah, smell and taste. <laughs> but what's nice here is that, you know, because a lot of people, uh, as you were saying in the beginning, people do attune to uh, color and light very yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then that experience doesn't last sometimes, yeah. and some people yeah. it doesn't last. And then they feel lost, and then they feel, okay, this is not working for me, and then they want to look for what's the next thing and what will stimulate me again. Mm -hmm. But what's nicer is that, you know, then pay attention to sound, pay attention to feeling. Pay. So it's not that, you know, you could be tuning into all sense perceptions and using any one of them that's available to you in that moment mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. a magnet to draw you mm -hmm. further in. And again, these things, we don't have to, we can't really force these things. They're just natural expressions of uh, experience, the inner sight of the senses, as we withdraw the life force away from the outside, away from the physical body. It's just very naturally these things appear. Oftentimes we talk about sound and we have the techniques of trying to listen to sound. It's very, very frustrating for, um, I was going to say many, but I probably should say most. <laughs> it's it's uh, very frustrating because you don't hear anything. And you just hear, well, you probably hear buzzings and, you know, the sounds of the body and those sorts of things. But suppo these supposedly astrally nice sounding sounds, they don't seem to manifest. But it's a matter, it's, that is an indication that we're still restless. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like... If the traffic is very noisy outside the door, we're not maybe hearing the nice music that's playing. And so consequently, we have to calm the traffic. And then these things would come naturally. It's not something we induce uh, artificially. They're natural, they're there. And again, it goes back to some of those other slokas we were saying, this is the natural state are these inner, the inner side. And then our job is to calm the outer side and these things will come natural. You want to read the next one? Okay, we got one more here. Okay. It's very it's similar to what we just did. Number 36, is mm -hmm. it? Okay. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> calmness of mind comes by concentrating on the supreme, ever-blissful light within. And again here, is it, it, the the contrast to that one before, otherwise concentration on subtle sense perceptions can bring about steady, steadiness of mind. But here he highlights mm -hmm. that calmness of mind comes by concentrating on the supreme, ever blissful light within. And light has a special place, you might say, in the hierarchy of inner experience. It's like at the beginning of the Bible, it says, let there be light. Let there be light. Uh, fiat lux, I think is, fiat the, is lux, the, yeah. the word. And it's that very initial creative force. That, of course, goes with the, the word, the sound as well. And you could, uh, it's said that light and sound are opposite sides of the same coin of ohm. Ohm, but ohm is actually more than just light and sound. But those two are, you might say, the most dynamic to our consciousness and light itself is something that is generally generally like I say the exceptions but generally 
easy to look for, not always easy to perceive, but certainly easy to look for when we meditate, we look up into the spiritual eye, and we try to see light at that point. And it, we, we shouldn't strain for it. It's again, it comes to the degree that we look for that light, we relax, and then you could say, look for it. There's a, and it, it'll come. There's a story of how Rajasi Janakananda, if you remember, he went into a very, very deep state of uh, samadhi. And, but he had, before that, he had gone through a very, very dry spell. It was like God had abandoned him, you might <laughs> say, a night of darkness for him. And he was not feeling, he was saying, what, what? I've been, I've been having these experiences, Master had given him these experiences, came rather quickly for him. And then all of a sudden they went away and he was in darkness for quite some time. And finally he said, when he was meditating and he saw a tiny pinpoint of light, just a tiny pinpoint, which was a good because he had not seen anything. He saw a tiny pinpoint of light and he began to focus. And now his concentration was deep. He had very deep concentration, and with his concentration focused on that pinpoint of light in the midst of darkness, his concentration deep, deep, and that slowly, slowly that light began to increase until ultimately it enveloped him, and he went through that, into that light, and into that very much more deeper state of consciousness. And it's something for to I remember that, because most of the time we look into the darkness and it's dark, you know, <laughs> and there's, there's little there. Maybe we get some glimmerings like, like curtains, you know, of moving across and just gazes. But, but there's an element of grace there. If we look deep into it, that light will come. And it comes with devotion, calling into that light, and with concentration and steadfastness of purpose, you know, to keep all you, because... You have to stick like Rajasi. You have to stick with it, and with that devotional attention, it'll come. Now, I, I, I have also noticed that sometimes people, some people just are not attuned so much to light as others. It just, and maybe they are better listening to sound. But you might also, there is an old tradition of looking in, into the spiritual eye and looking for the darkest spot in the spiritual eye. Now that seems kind of counterintuitive, the darkest spot, but you might try it. Think of yourself at night, in a dark night, and you're out in the forest perhaps, and it's dark and you're somewhat lost, but you come to a wall of rock, and in that wall, in the rock, there's a cave, and that entry that cave is darker than everything else mm. and you just it's just because of the relativity it's all dark but that's darker cave and that guha that cave you go into that darkest spot and you penetrate that into the into that darkness and i think what it if practicing that you can it focus your concentration on something is what we need and i have found when practicing this, you go into that darkness and it's actually not dark. It is dark, but it's not because there's nothing there. There's a very dark blue sometimes it comes. It's just a very, very deep blue. And if you go into that, 
you'll begin to see that you'll start to create that your movement into that direction. And this is an old technique known as a guha meditation technique. And uh, a little obscure, but if you're a person that never sees anything, well, go, the idea is, is you go to the, okay, the darkness, and you go into the middle of that darkness, and you see it's really not dark at all. It's just a deep color of blue if you, if you go into a very deep. And that, of course, is also what comes when you go in the light, in the spiritual eye. You see that field of blue that begins to come and to manifest and go into that. But whatever light you see, don't think there's a good light, a bad light. It's whatever light we see, go into it, because its concentration will be able to be enhanced if we focus on it. And as we focus, these inner experiences will begin to clarify themselves. Well, Jay, we're almost at the end. Usually at the Patanjali classes, we just end with a very tiny meditation where we'll just kind of leave them with a final thought because there's just so much intellectual information that mm -hmm. gets shared that it's always helpful to end it on a relatively more interiorized state of, all right, what am I going to do this week with what I have received? Yeah, now what would you pick? Um, I would pick the the idea of the sense perceptions that go into your meditation and, and use the very senses to guide you further in. Because I think that's a, that's a very practical, tangible experience people can create for themselves mm -hmm. because it's something they're used to using. Mm -hmm. And if you say, all right, then listen, just try to really listen or try really to look more deeply rather than, you know, sometimes we're doing Hong So. I'm, I'm not really, I'm, all right, there's my breath, fine, there's my breath, I'm doing Hong So, but I'm not, I'm not putting my, all right, I really want to see what's there. Mm -hmm. oh, I really want to hear what's there. And I feel like this could be a wonderful uh, emphasis to have perhaps this week in our inner meditations. That's nice, that, that's good. And I would say, when you come out of that meditation and you begin to go out, take these attitudes of being friendly. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> Should I do yeah, that? Which means, that? now, one aspect of friendliness, of course, is, is sharing and, and reaching out with your vibration to embrace other people. And you could, so if you're, maybe you're experiencing these inner experiences, think in terms of friendliness of sharing whatever it is that you've gained in a friendly manner with others. Okay, so let's just take one moment, everybody, together. Perhaps there's something you heard that was more meaningful to you. Perhaps it struck a particular chord of, oh, I really want to try that. But if all of us, as Jayaji was mentioning, and as Patanjali mentions, if we just take a moment, closing our eyes, uplifting the gaze, straightening our spine, opening the heart, Letting the energy rise up naturally. And then see which of your, in this particular case, at least your three senses, ability to see or hear or feel, which one do you, in this moment, are you able to tune into more? And during this coming week, Every day, play a little bit. Be playful in your meditation. Experiment with all these suggestions that Patanjali has given us. 
Don't become mechanical with your practice, with your technique. Explore. Every meditation should be an adventure of exploration. I have seen the world outside already. Let me see what I find in the world inside me. Is there color? Is there light? Is there sound? Is there subtle feeling perceptions, vibrations in my spine, my body as space? What inner sense am I going to use this week to deepen my concentration, to strengthen the stillness of my mind? And then to balance that inner state, then to express that joy through friendliness, through compassion, through delight, and all the while disregarding the magnetic pull to see the dark spots in the world too easily, too quickly. When we see light outwardly, then there is a better chance of seeing the light inwardly as well. And so let's take that light and just rub it into the palms of our hands as an affirmation, as a hope, as a prayer, as we said, especially sharing that light with those parts of the world that need it the most. But then as an affirmation that I will choose to see light always, both within and without. Let's use the power of Om and let those vibrations of light go out in all directions. Oh, oh.